Listening to the Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. Happy Thanksgiving to our friends in Canada. It yes. is October 10th. It is also Monday. That means it is Mental Health Monday. We'll get to that conversation in just a moment. Thanks to Concordia University, Wisconsin for supporting the Coffee Hour. Find out more about Concordia University, Wisconsin at cuw.edu. Live Uncommon. It is Mental Health Monday. Good morning, Deaconess Heidi Gaiman. Good morning. Thanks for having me. I am prepared. I am ready to talk about emotions and the gospel. Yeah, together. (laughs) Together. You got to couple those things together. I'm enjoying the book. I'm enjoying the series. I'm learning a lot. Mm -hmm. Same. This is great. Like, I can't stop reading it. Ooh, that's a high compliment, Sarah. I love it. (laughs) This week, partial truths. I almost feel like this should be a board game. (gasps) Oh, my goodness. That sounds epic. Don't you think so? Like game yes. night, we're going to play Partial Truths. Can we kickstarter uh, that? Yes. Okay, we're trademarking that right now, and they'll be yeah. <laughs> this is how we'll fund KFU. No, just <laughs> partial truths. It was a hard terminology to. I'm I'm sure I someone bet. else has utilized it, right? It's not, but new to mm-hmm. me. Like I originally titled this section "Myths of Emotions," and that mm. wasn't quite accurate because it wasn't awful. And I, you know, we tend toward that kind of either or, or black and white. And I wanted something that really helped us understand like why these things perpetuate, how there is some truth in it, but how they can go awry. And I do think as the church, we're particularly interested in being aware of what is actual truth with a capital T and what is, you know, the ideas we come up with and attach to that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So partial truths, we all have them in our lives. We all probably accept them to some degree, whether we recognize that or not. Mm-hmm. Why do we adopt these partial truths? Why do we accept them? Mm-hmm. I think two big reasons, and I'm sure there's more, but these are the two that stand out for me. Number one is that they appear to be a solution of some kind. Like we are people who have been given the gift of evaluating something, assessing something, and looking for solutions to problems. And in that gift, we can occasionally get over-involved in that. And we want things to have solutions. And then we also want it to have easy solutions, right? I want want a one-step solution to this problem. And, And so we tend to take things that are complex and oversimplify them. And and that makes sense to me because we are assessors. You know, we're all to some degree kind of natural engineers in our own way, shape, or form in different areas of our lives, especially relationally. You know, if I want to fix my quote-unquote mom fits, I like to call them, where I do fine so much of the day and then suddenly I'm like losing it and yelling at my family and I don't want that to be part of my life. And the anger for frustration, irritation, maybe even sadness, excitability, sensory overload is like exploding in my home, then I want to find a solution to that. And I think blaming 
emotions is a kind of easy solution. And I can just make myself a better person. And, you know, I, I, I say it like that because it's obvious then how I'm taking something that's obviously very complex and trying to oversimplify it. But that's what we do. And the second reason is comfort. So partial truths are excessively comforting. And I think very often in life, instead of seeking refuge in what God offers us, in his grace, in his faithfulness, in his arms, we end up trying to craft comforts that satisfy our cognition, you know, our thinking, and satisfy just what we need in that moment, almost like an instant gratification truth, if you will. It's more expansive than that, but I would say those are the two big things. Solutions and comfort is why we adopt partial truths. You guys have any thoughts on that too? Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense when we think about how we approach these half-truths. And they're they're like, you're insidious too. Like you don't even realize the things that run through your head or the things that you believe is truth but aren't actually true just because of I don't know what 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 we see on social media and what what our friends tell us and maybe just as like coping mechanisms of kind of making our lives a little easier like you like you were saying mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah I mean that's so what are yeah, yeah go, go ahead, ahead. <laughs> <laughs> what are some examples of these that we might uh, that that well, we may be familiar be. with us. Right, right. <laughs> I know it yeah, is going to hurt. Well, we'll get to the emotion ones. And I just want to remind the listener, you guys know this, but that we're going to dive into, I think, four specific ones that are found in the book in particular. And so I'm really excited to spend time on each of those in the episodes because they are worthy of good discussion, each one of them. These, I think especially because we have so much conversation about what truth is, number one, that's like an excellent existential question for everyone in church and out of church, and also very interesting for us in our postmodern or post-Christian culture and these like ideas we get about generations and things and how truth, I think we propose to some degree has been distorted, but I think we get really nostalgic about the idea of truth too. And so it's just, you know, it gets complicated really fast. So we're going to pull it apart a little bit more. I want to give a non-emotionally driven example that, of course, has emotion in it because that's how we are as humans. The example I give to introduce this concept of partial truth, and I think you could use any kind of fairy tale creature. You know, what's your favorite kind of false or, gosh, if you have little people listening, I I almost don't even want to go into this, but ideas, family traditions, if you will, that hold a partial truth to them, which the example I give in the book, I'll just say it, everyone cover your small children's ears, is Santa Claus. Because I you know, I believed in Santa till I was 12. <laughs> and people might have tons of opinions about that on many levels, but it was extremely comforting to me. My parents did vaguely teach us about Santa. It wasn't something very important in our house, but it was just an idea. And I think that's a healthy way that many families go about it. At the same time, I knew that Jesus was the reason for the season, have no fear. But my parents would like give me these kind of partial truths. Like, and I've done it with my kids too. Like, well, there's Santa, but mom and dad buy the presents. Or, well, that Santa at the mall isn't the actual Santa. You know, you just, you try to live in this thing and it gets complicated really fast. But the reason for me, especially that I internally perpetuated that for myself, and I don't actually think there's anything wrong in this instance, but 
it is devastating when you find out, right? <laughs> like, like at some point your world is shattered when you've lived in a partial truth, even though it was so comforting for so long. And part of it was the traditions that we held. And so like my dad, instead of leaving cookies out for Santa, we would, for whatever reason, buy chicken nuggets like on the way to or home from church. I don't know how this happened. And we didn't always go to church on Christmas Eve. So I'm not sure what happened in my family with this, but that's what we left for Santa, chicken nuggets. And that was really important. And I don't think I wanted to let go of that connection with my dad. And I don't think he wanted to let go of it either. So we continued that. And once, you know, I was 12 and had to admit, like, okay, I know about Santa Claus. We made an intentional decision at some point in my teen years to just pick up that tradition again so it wasn't lost. And I want to encourage the listener that that is what we can do. We are working through and identifying the partial truths that have been comforting to us or solution-focused to us in some way, not so that we are completely denied that comfort, but so that we can get to a place that's actually actually comforting and intentional and connected to God and connected to one another and ourselves in our emotional lives. That was a, a really valuable example you gave in the book and that you shared with us today as well. And I could see how something developed into, in, in that case, how it developed into a partial truth or a half truth, we might call it. Is there like a standard pattern? How does something evolve into or how does something become a half-truth or a partial truth? I do not think there's a standard pattern, mostly because I, I haven't really been able to find a lot of research in this, right? I think probably in different cultures, it's perpetuated in different ways. And so I really identify my experience in, in Western culture, in American culture, and I can really only speak to that. I think one thing that happens is it's excessively helpful <laughs> to someone, and then that gets passed along. And so I think the only way a partial truth survives is if it is useful. It's kind of in the same way where we do this thing where people develop a theory, and, and that can be researched, but it's a theory. And then we create a model from that theory so that it's a practical use of the theory, and it's just a model. But then it becomes somehow this explanation for life for us. It's a, almost turns in, no, it doesn't almost. A lot of times it turns into some kind of meaning making for us rather than simply being useful. Like as if, you know, we have an Instapot. Sorry, that's a brand name. If we have a, <laughs> a pressure cooker that can go from zero to 60, right? And in, in 2.2 seconds, if that's that's fantastic. It's a solution. It's helpful and useful. But if that's all I have and I get rid of my stove and my oven and my microwave and my tea kettle and everything because I have this Instapot, where am I left? That is what happens with partial truths. It's like very, very useful, but it's not everything. And so we need to uh, be honest when things are created to be theories and models before we turn them into something more. And so I find it really helpful with partial truths 
to return to that. So, you know, in academic settings, especially people create theories and models. And then we do kind of do this celebrity atizing of different ideas. And there's even books about now Christian celebrity, right? And people and their ideas and models for how the church can work better and models for how relationships can be better. And just so many models, those are good models and they're not everything. And so it pervades the culture because it has been so useful that we start to make it everything. Does that make sense, you guys? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We have more sense-making to make in just a moment. <laughs> so we are talking about partial truths today as we're looking at emotions and the gospel with Deaconess Heidi Gaiman. It is Mental Health Monday on the Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. At Concordia University, Wisconsin, we believe you were created for a reason, to use your God-given gifts to help others, to live a life of self-sacrifice in a me-first world, to live a life that's uncommon. Whether you're taking one of 50-plus online programs or learning with us in person on the shores of Lake Michigan, you'll be equipped to make an uncommon impact. Learn more at cuw.edu. Concordia University, Wisconsin. Live uncommon. Welcome back to the Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. It is Mental Health Monday. We are taking a look at emotions and the gospel, particularly digging into partial truths today with Deaconess Heidi Gaiman. It is partial truths. This was just fascinating because we just kind of like gloss over them. We don't really normally think about how something is a partial truth and really Mm. dig into this. So this is rather enlightening for me. How do then partial truths or half truths impact our mental and emotional health? Mm, That's a really good question. Well, and I would say one more thought on how they kind of get going, if you will, and I do think this Mm -hmm. applies to how they impact our emotional and mental health then, is they tend to get traded through generations, So I think that's something a little bit unique about something that pervades as a partial truth is that we hand it off to our friends and family, yes, but we also tend to hand it down (laughs) to the littlest among us. And I would propose that they tend to get heavier the further down they go. So if I have a partial truth about emotions, and we'll just go to my very favorite, which is the myth of too emotional. And we'll talk about that in another episode. But if I, if I am, that's part of my life that I believe that there is a space where humans are absolutely too emotional. And it's particularly a problem of a certain sex, gender, minority, culture group, something like that, if I'm attributing it somewhere, and I pass that off then it tends to get heavier with the next generation or creates it creates some relational discord because there's like a value difference in it. Because we're talking about truth, something we believe to be truth, not something we take lightly, right? Mm-hmm. And so that really impacts the emotional health of the receiver, especially. It's hard for the recipient, if you will, if I believe something and pick it up, but I feel some agency and choice in that. The next generation will feel pressure from it. And sometimes that pressure turns to shame. Sometimes it turns to wrestling and, and weeding and, and some good stuff. But 
then there becomes that relational tension, right? Because we're not on the same page. And so I think those are the biggest ways that I see it impact our mental, emotional health. I also think we end up feeling like scattered hamster wheel people where we like have this solution, right? It's like, I have the nugget. And so I should be fine. <laughs> like it should all be okay. And it should be working out. But then I'm just spinning and spinning and spinning because I'm not actually finding any real help for my problem. I'm not sorting through it because I think I hold the easy answer and it doesn't serve me well. And so then we end up with that very scattered feeling we have a lowered sense of self, lowered grounded confidence. We start to internally, even subconsciously kind of wonder if we're kind of capable of assessing ourselves or other people. And it, it does snowball. It does snowball. And these are good places to end up in therapy and Bible study and friendship conversations, family conversations, discussing what we believe about our emotions, about other things, so that we can get to hold those things together. What is real truth with a capital T, the freedom of Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection, and our humanity and our human need, as well as, you know, things that may work or be useful, but aren't everything. Yeah, it takes a lot of vulnerability to kind of enter into those conversations and to really consider the things that we are are using to be more comfortable when we're thinking about these things. Can we, you have this example in the book and I wrote notes around it because, because it's so good. Your example of choosing joy, can you just like, can we work through that one a little bit? We need to invite Tanner Olson on the episode for this yeah. because written to speak, we have a very much ongoing conversation about this as well as some snarky texting. And he has a really good episode I would turn the listener to on his podcast, Walk a Little Slower, about choosing joy that's just really holds the complication of it in a very lovely way. And okay. so I turn to that. But choosing joy for me is a really good example because so we pick up phrases. And this is one way that partial truth expresses itself. We pick up really useful phrases. I would say other examples that I've given uh, multiple times on Coffee <laughs> Hour would include versions of Bible verses, which choose joy, I think, to some degree could be considered, although very loosely, whereas like cast your care is one that's very overtly, right? Like a, a biblical reference. So, hey, those don't work great for us when we apply them to every. Thing. <laughs> they don't work great for us then as, and I apologize, this is going to come off as very judgmental and I do not mean it that way. If this brings you joy, if this helps your mental health, please go for it. I am just saying that it isn't everything. It, it's not the answer we need in all spaces in life and it's oversimplified. And so when we put it on a t-shirt, it's very challenging for people because they are, I think we put things on t-shirts, right? For other people to read, but that may not be the space they're in. It's not that maybe the time in their lives and the seasons and the struggles that they find that message to be very helpful or gospel-centered, I think is really especially true. It, it comes off as very judgmental. And so choose joy. While joy is good, it's, it's not everything, is it? It's not the solution. It's not the gospel in its fullness. Jesus chose the cross. And yeah, we can say as Christians, like there is joy there, but there's emotion soup there too. There's a whole lot going on. And so it's oversimplified to say that joy is the answer in each situation. I think you can tell I'm pretty passionate about this. <laughs> and I love joy. I love it. But suffering is also part of us. 
And we need to honor both those pieces of God's good work in both those things, as well as that emotion soup that we have going on inside of us. Does that help, Sarah? Does that answer your question? Yeah. Yeah, that's good. I think we need to quote from the book. Yes. That was so helpful. Particularly that phrase, choose joy, can be good, but often this emotional expectation cloaks two half-truths. One, we each have a choice in everything. Two, the only correct choice is joy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, that was very helpful. I, I'm glad I it's helpful. It. The next sentence is actually my favorite. I'm going to do. But what of the value and purpose of sadness, guilt, frustration? Joy is good. Joy is also not all we were made for. Our bodies and minds know that there is, there must be a place for more. And I think that's that tension of our emotional and mental health right there, Andy, is our, our bodies know. Like we were created with that kind of inner compass for God and for our kind of purpose as human beings, living and walking with God. And so we end up, again, just really disconnected from ourselves and frustrated and scattered. And ignoring the harder stuff in life doesn't make it magically go away either. No, it really doesn't. And we weren't made for shame. In in the cross of Jesus Christ, shame is not ours. And that's a complicated statement because that's also oversimplified, right? At the same time, it says that Jesus put, you know, he, he, he took shame to the cross. And so we want to keep that in mind. We don't have to live in that place where, and I think the idea of choosing joy when we feel like it is not working for us or we are absent of that choice because of various circumstances, then shame is the result. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, if I feel like I I should be joyful, but I'm not, then I feel mm-hmm. shame in that. Mm-hmm. Instead, maybe I need a moment to be sad. Mm-hmm. I need a, you know, a, a minute to be sad because we live in a broken world and mm-hmm. there are things occasionally to be sad about mm-hmm. or every day. Uh, but <laughs> yeah. And, and to acknowledge that it's okay that, well, we've talked about this before about the theology or confessions of faith that really put like make emotions almost a sacrament mm-hmm. that, that mm-hmm. you know that we're, if we're feeling happy or joyful that that's some sort of sign that god is at work in me and if mm-hmm. i'm not then he must be absent i must have done something to take god out of my life or right. to, to to lock him out oh man okay that's just yeah. a hot mess i'm not going to go there anymore <laughs> just gonna let that go mm-hmm. so the Some practicality then. How can acknowledging half-truths be helpful? How do we acknowledge them? What do we do with them when we we identify them? Sure. Just like so much else that I try to bring to emotions in the gospel, I would use the word invitation. So acknowledging the half-truth is like this place of receiving an invitation to something, to be able to open the door to actually wrestling with the problem, with the thing before us in a fuller sense, instead of kind of taking that door that isn't working for us, that quote unquote, easy out, which is such an ironic idea because it isn't easy, obviously, which is, you know, what we just talked about. Instead, it's heavy and hard and causes a lot of issues. And so acknowledging it invites us to be in that place that is 
asking questions, getting the support we need, turning to God, and being honest about our humanness that we don't know or understand and we need help. And so it widens and it gives us this sense really of openness and that freedom of Christ becomes I cannot tell you how many people I've sat with that there's this realness, this sense of freedom that they have once they believe they can ask the questions again. (laughs) It's just, it's really quite notable, even physically notable when you sit with people and they realize, oh, I can ask the questions. Then we get to, I think, more depth. And I think we get to things that actually do help us have what we call restoration rather than, you know, easy fixes. And sometimes that comes in parts. And sometimes we get it in quite full and distinct ways. And sometimes we don't really get it until Jesus comes again. But things become restored in ways that we can, we feel like we can be resilient, we can walk through it, we can kind of deal with the next problem as they come, because we have done the work of asking. And and that starts with acknowledgement, for sure. I know we're out of time, but I don't want to cut us off. Sarah, did you have anything else before we wrap up? I know it's a great topic and we could go on for probably another hour. No, we should probably be done. All right. <laughs> we'll, we'll have multiple weeks of this, really. I mean, we have multiple topics with Marshall Truth. This is true. Next week. I know. I'm excited for posi- next week. <laughs> excited. Is that positive or negative? Oh, oh that's oh, Andy. That is so nice. <laughs> It's a very naughty See, behavior right there. How you that. Yeah. We're, I think in our household, we're divided on that. Oh, really? Oh, good. I love yes. it. I want to hear about that next week. That's so good. Mm, oh. Yes. All right. I'm just going to tell personal stories. Emotions <laughs> and the gospel with Deaconess Heidi Gaiman. You can find more at HeidiGaiman.com. Heidi, always a joy. Thanks so much for being with us for Mental Health Monday. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah is a production of KFUO. To support the Coffee Hour and KFUO Radio, visit KFUO.org. You can also text KFUO to 41444 or send an email to gifts at KFUO.org. And you can call us at 800-844-0524. KFUO. Christ for you. Anytime. Anywhere. Anywhere.